Hello, friends. First off, let's go over our executive producers for the show. We have Long Gone and Sir Daniel Gorbea, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Thank you all. If you'd like to sponsor the show, keep us on the air, you can do that with a $20 donation. You will get executive producer status of the show. We have a really big show for you today. Big in the fact, you would think that, uh, I know I certainly thought, we had a show last night, we had a show right now, and you think, how much more new information can happen in just a few hours? Well, some big information can happen, actually. We're going to go into that on the flip side, but before we do, I just want to say that we have a New Year's Eve special coming up. And it's called I Hate Jerry. So if you just tuned in, and because that's what trolls do, you just tune in, watch for a minute, and then you send me a message about hate, which I'm cool with. Please call that number, 325-261-0892. It's all I want for Christmas is I want your hate. Give it to me. Let that hate out of your heart. You can do it right now. Touch that screen. Grab that phone. Tell me what you really think. You guys have some good ones. I'm collecting my own plan for a New Year's Eve special. Since I've been asking for hate, I haven't been getting anything but positive feedback. Please, I'm not joking. I want some hate. I'm not going to roast your butt on New Year's. I'm not going to do that, but I do want to play him. I'll show you what I'm going to do. It'll be revolutionary, but I need your hate. If not, I'll come up with something else, but I need your hate voicemails. 325-261-0892. This is a talk show, so we will be opening up the phone lines in the second half of the show, I'm looking forward to talking to you, to you guys live. I'm your host, Jerry Adams. You're listening to Midnight Radio. Thank you for showing up. I like... I like the difference between the night and the morning because there's some of you guys that I only see in the morning and I've missed you guys for this past week or so we've been on nights. So I appreciate that. I appreciate that a lot. Let me remind you that on the 23rd, we have our Christmas Spectacular. We're going to have JT Kinderfeller and he's going to take us into the darkest, reaches, dankest place you've ever been. Federal pound me in the wild ass speculation prison. And he's going to tell you stories like you've never heard before. We're thinking about how to properly do it and still maintain our monetization if we have it. How to do it and not get kicked off of every streaming platform. We're working on that. Also, don't forget, we're going to have a New Year's Eve special. The I Hate Jerry special. So you're going to want to tune into that. Other than that, let me see if we have anything. We're starting, we're obtaining our license for our online radio stream. Okay? And we're getting the license to be able to play everything. Everything. That's where all of your donations go. That goes to the licensing for what we have now. The software, every thumbnail we have. I don't. We don't just go on uh, Google and pull pictures off. We actually have everything, every element in every one of our thumbnails is licensed and all the music you hear. Um, so, again, that's where the donations go. Thank you very much. Every Anything is appreciated greatly, I can tell you that. And I'd like to give a special shout-out to those people that just listened to our Spotify podcast. You listen to us on there. We've, you guys have been with us forever. We just started memberships on there. A lot of you guys are taking those. We appreciate that. You guys will get extra content. I promise you that. And very soon, within the next couple days, just for you. Now, this feels so good to tell you what I'm about to tell you right now. I got a video from your girl, Banfield. Oh, how I've missed her. Five weeks now. Somebody has carried around a terrible secret. 
that he or she, most likely he, slaughtered four college students in Moscow, Idaho. And that is not an easy thing to hide from friends and family and literally everybody else every moment of every day. So is it possible that the killer is exhibiting some strange new behaviors these days, giving off telltale signs that would be huge red flags for people who knew what to look for? I'm joined by Robin Dreek. He is a retired FBI special agent and the former head of the Counterintelligence Behavioral Analysis Program. It's the program most often featured on the hit TV series Criminal Minds. So, Robin, what should we be looking for if, you know... So is she telling me that he's a fiction writer? Because, I mean, everything on there has changed so much. I don't know. Somebody's behaving differently around us. What kind of signs should be uh, exhibited if someone's committed these hands? No, wait, I just want to interrupt here because she's saying this on my program. Maybe I'm allowing it. But I, I feel kind of nervous because this is right at Christmas, and I know there's going to be somebody's uncle that's going to get turned in. So I'm a little worried about that. We got some information coming up from the Moscow Police Department complaining about you damn kids and your nosy dog. So her saying this, is that not saying, hey, hey, you know that neighbor of yours? He's a weirdo. Call him in. In his acts. Hi, Ashley. You know, it's as simple as really just being present and seeing what deviates from someone's normal behavior. And we've all experienced this. We can always tell when someone's having either a really good day or a really bad day because we pick up a lot of nonverbal cues from these people every single day. The challenge in this situation is we'll more to time this passes, no shit the likelihood of the personality type starts edging more probably towards psychopathy and a lack of empathy. So we're going to probably pick up on less visual cues than we are normally would. You know, I think I have a brother that's a weirdo. I think maybe I should turn him in. He's definitely a sociopath or a schizo personality. Good. I'm going to get back to this in a little bit, but not before I ask you, what is happening behind the scenes right now? There's two behavioral analysis unit members that were assigned from the FBI to this case, and it's been two since the get-go, and it's still two today. You know, some of you guys said, you know, this information you guys come up with, you get it before Banfield. It seems like she's reporting what you guys were reporting. I don't know if that's true or not. But then again, if some of you guys are saying, you know, I'm, she, she's interviewing uh, YouTube personalities right now. I'm surprised she hasn't asked you. Maybe she will in the future. And I got to admit, I'd feel kind of weird about that. I mean, I've, I, I don't know why I'm starting to like her. But can you imagine what an interview like that would be? She would ask me a question like she just did this, man, and I'd be like, you know, Ashley, uh, it's good to be here with you today. But before I answer that question, let's just talk about us. You know, I I see that you like to talk and you have cameras in front of you and I have cameras in front of me. I'm I'm just kind of saying maybe we should be together and have cameras on both of us. And then she'd end the interview and I'd get my butt kicked out. I don't know. So what are those two people doing, and what exactly is their work product? Should the fact that this two is really good, and the fact that they've been there since the get-go is also really good, because you want a really consolidated effort of all the information that's coming in, so there's not a miscommunication between a lot of different people. This is the most gener generic report I've ever heard in my life. Maybe she should, she should interview me. Maybe I do have a shot. So these two are at the top, and at the top, what I mean is there's 60 other individuals associated with the FBI that I saw, and it is an investigative team. And as your last guest was saying, you have the the younger corporal that's kind of leading the, the bench here, and these people are part of that bench. And so these two are taking in all this information, all this data, and they're basing it off of their expertise in looking at these heinous crimes as a career and, and trying to match up the intel that's coming in, the data that's coming in with their research that on past murders that have been similar-ish in the sense of, you know, quadruple murders and other such things like that. So I look at behaviors of, like, serial killers like BTK and Golden State. Um, we watched them up close and personal in court, and they couldn't have been more different. BTK was just pompous as hell, so proud, and just seemingly completely unaware of how horrendous he was. I think he just basked in the loveliness of it, even though he had a family. He didn't realize the heinousness of it. You guys, 
Let me interrupt Ashley right here. Man, okay. Some of you guys wonder, and a lot of people do, and I understand, and I've been studying this and writing about it for way too long. Um, people wonder, how could somebody do this? Well, you wonder that because you couldn't do something like that, which is great. So you're not supposed to understand it completely, but just know this. Just like you put your socks on, I know a lot of you probably don't have your socks, but just like you got your coffee, it was a choice. This person chose to do this. There was a point in time when it's like, should I do this? Should I not? I want to do this. Should I do this? This is bad. Should I not do it? It's a choice. Don't let it blow your mind. They realize how heinous it is. Oh, my God, they realize how heinous it is, and that's why they do it. They're willing to go to that extreme to end a life. There's some people that are willing to go to that extreme because it's extreme, because you're not supposed to do it, and that's where their sexual perversion is, so not understanding it. Oh, we understand it now. I understand it now. I understand why they do this. It's not the kind of thing that I would ever do because evil doesn't impress me. It doesn't give me any, evil doesn't give me any sense of satisfaction. And we all have the capacity for evil. Some of us have done bad things on accident, you know. I'm talking about little things and I feel bad for it if I do. Or if I think somebody uh, had their feelings hurt because I misspoke a certain way. And then there's interactions on social media. Do they take that harsher than I seem? Yes, these people don't care. These people are out for, to do, to commit that evil deed. They really are, so we need to realize that. That is why they do it. You know, and had this mm -hmm. fake life going on that was so uh, innocent looking. But the Golden State was a former cop who just was stoic and um, obstinate and surly and didn't give up any of the goods. So I'm trying to figure out, like, how do you get in the head or how do you profile when it looks like they can be so vastly different? It's actually kind of similar in the two. Actually, I'd like to say this about all those cases and just about any serial killer case. Not that this is a serial killer, but who knows. In all the cases of those, these people have gotten away with the murders for a long time because of the incompetence of the police department. And I hope and I pray to God that this is not the case for the Idaho Four. And I realize police departments aren't perfect. But we're going to go into a daily mixed message that the police department is sending out here in a little bit. And it's a big mistake. In the sense that if you start edging up towards psychopathy like that, it's all about grandiosity. It's how big they can make themselves look, how smarter than everyone else they are. And it's a total lack of empathy that they have, True. which makes it really, really challenging to see this in a community. It's why these things can go on for a while, because when someone's not exhibiting a deviation from a standard normal behavior that someone that has committed something like this would generally have, that makes it really hard to see. And, and so that grandiosity starts kicking in and they that's a very misnomer. You know, it's not the community's responsibility to catch this person by noticing his, their behavior on the side. It's the job of the police department. And every time you see in Ted Bundy, they let him go. They had evidence. They let him go. Look at Jeffrey Dahmer. They had evidence. They let him go right on the face of it. These people need more training. They shouldn't have, they shouldn't be defunded. The police should not be defunded. Now, the FBI's ass should be defunded and ran out of the United States. The FBI is worthless. They're nothing about nothing but politics to get positions in that institution. It's corrupt from the floor up. I'm not saying that their job isn't important. I'm saying they aren't. The FBI is not. They need to be, their jobs need to be covered by the state's Bureau of Investigation, not the federal, but the state's. That's my opinion. The state's, the corruption in the politics is more, uh, is, is less, is a whole lot less than on a national level. It can't be controlled by, I don't know, whatever presidency you have in there at the time. Those are just my thoughts. Back to you, Ash. 
they might want to flourish it. They might want to get some sort of psychological reward out of this for themselves to say, look at me, look what I've done, look what I've accomplished, look who I'm getting over on this. Thank so you, Captain Obvious. I'm the behavioral analysts on this case. Um, how do I distinguish between the possibility that this is a serial? Man, you know what? Maybe I can do that. I have the interview and just all you have to do is look like you're an authority. Yes, well, Ashley, my qualifications are my smile and my tie. Killer, because that is always a possibility. Or just someone real angry, an old boyfriend, an old girlfriend, a neighbor who hates noise. Like how, where do you even begin to find that? Get off my lawn. First thing you're going to do is try not to have any sort of confirmation bias. So you don't want to be looking for things to try to. So apparently he's in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Very interesting. Isn't that where the the FBI is headquartered? Approve one thing or disprove another. You're just going to be present and taking as much data as you can from all these different possibilities. And you're just going to look for any deviation. I'm you sorry, guys. I'm sorry. I know I'm playing this more than I normally would, but I've missed Ashley for the past couple days. You guys need to turn me in because I'm acting weird. All the interviews that are being conducted and you're going to assess all these individuals, all the people that have come in and out of everyone's life in the past couple of years. How to spot a killer the FBI way? No, they did not. Oh my gosh. I'm going to end it there. Quantico. That's right. Uh, how to spot a killer the FBI way? Well, no, no wonder they don't find Jack. I don't think they're incompetent. I just think they're too political. That's my point. It should be a political... Um, I was going to say political asexual, but I don't know what the hell that means. <laughs> it should be, not be politically biased. How to spot a killer. All right, guys, I got more information for you. Popping right into it. I'm not going to make you guys wait at all. Let's see. Boom, 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 boom. All right, I got. Here's what I got for you about this. This is about the car. This is from the Moscow Police Department. I'm going to read you this, and then I'm going to play you a video I got. I should, I should still have it. This just happened yesterday. Matter of fact, I guess I'm going to have to blow this up and read it to you because it's including it. Investigators are aware of a Hyundai Elantra located... Okay. Located in Eugene, Oregon, and have spoken with the owner. The vehicle was involved in a collision and subsequently impounded. The vehicle is registered out of Colorado, and the female owner is not believed to have any relation to any property in Moscow, Idaho, or the ongoing murder investigation. The public is asked to stop contacting the owner. There have been numerous questions about leadership in this investigation. Let me be clear. This is Moscow Police Department's investigation, and I am the chief of police. The decisions are mine and mine alone. I have an excellent command staff with over 90 years of combined experience. What? 90 years of combined experience, huh? Hey, chat room, if we put all of our experiences together, how many years can we scrape up? I'm just asking. All right. Overseeing the investigation's daily operation, I select who runs the investigation teams, and, well, that's what I got. Let's see. Where is... Okay. I don't have the video here, so I'm going to pull it back up. So this goes, so he's telling us if there's any problems, we should blame him. So this thing I'm just about to play is his, his fault for this mixed messaging. I mean, stare you right in the face. If they didn't pull the article, stare you right in the face and deliver a mixed message right to you. All right, here we go. This is about the car. Where are we at with 
the number of tips that have come in and leads. We have had right around 10,000 tips come in. We're reviewing all those tips. We're checking. Um, Got some big to tips, some small we, tips, some um, bullshit have individuals tips. who look at those tips Sideways and any tips. piece of evidence that they can link to this case. Has some sirloin tips. What about the video Salmon. evidence? How is that reviewed? What do you do with it? So we have a special team of individuals who are skilled at watching videos, collecting evidence and information out of those videos and linking them together so that we can tie every piece together for this investigation. What do you have for an update about the white Hyundai Elantra? We have uh, many tips that have come in on the 2011 to the 2013 Hyundai Elantra. But what we're asking is anybody else um, who still hasn't sent in a tip, if you own one or if you know somebody who was driving one the day before or the day after, um, to please send that tip in. What about the holidays? What does that mean for the investigation and all the people working? I'd like to thank you all for that sending us biscuits and for us. We're going to continue to push through the holidays. Um, we have a team that uh, will continue to do the investigation and work on that um, as we uh, move through the holidays. Somebody sent me an finally, apple pie. Why is it important to keep Somebody video from digital submissions part of the investigation as it's sorted through? Well, as people are, as our individuals are sorting through that, um, all that information could be one key piece for this investigation. So they're reviewing all that, they're looking at that, and they're looking for any um, keys that um, tie together um, any specific um, investigative pieces that we need to solve this case. All right, go away. All right, I want to read this to you. Because that's what the chief said. That's what Chief Wiggum said. Again, no disrespect for it from him. Some, one of you guys told me last night that he only had a few years' experience. I'm like, what? But again, it was kind of hard not to believe. I'm going to show you this as I, I read it. So Idaho police on Tuesday, this was after the show, right, I believe? They said an abandoned white 2013 Hyundai Elantra found in Eugene, Oregon on December 11th is not related to the November 13th murders of four University of Idaho students. Investigators have spoken with the owner of the damaged Hyundai Elantra in Eugene, Oregon, that police found while responding to a 911 call, which we played last night, December 17th. The vehicle was involved in a collision and subsequently impounded. The vehicle is registered out of Colorado, and the female owner is not believed to have any relation to any property in Moscow, Idaho, or the ongoing murder investigation. They said that on a Tuesday update. The public is asked to stop contacting the owner. Now, here's where I'm going from with this. Um, I played you last night the call, and we went over what a YouTuber was saying was the VIN number and that she had a friend look it up. Well, I don't know. Looks like she might not have been telling the truth. She didn't say anything about it being a female from Colorado. Here's some pictures of it. A homeless person, and this happened in the audio we played last night when the police were responding to the call. Somebody was asleep in the car. A homeless person was found sleeping in the vehicle. They broke in. The vehicle had damaged his front end and at least one broken window. You look like it looks like somebody jimmied the lock open. On December seventeenth, the caller reported a person sleeping in the damaged vehicle. Police made contact with that person who was homeless, but there was no further report. Now it's said that the police are running down a list of twenty two thousand Hyundai's seeking anything abnormal in the frat party timeline. Mm-hmm. And it says that they're still searching for the white Hyundai Elantra. So it looks like they did rule this car out. Now, I guess it's officially been ruled out. But soon we'll probably have a new car, won't we? So that is very, very interesting. Very interesting. But I got some more interesting stuff for you. But before I get into that, I almost want to tease it a little bit. Let me tease it. 
What would you say if I told you that there was a, a knife and axe throwing contest November 12th in Moscow, Idaho that drew people from all over the nation? What would you say? Well, I'm about to tell you that after we listen to our voicemails. Voicemail time, voicemail time. Check on a Brian. Come on. Mumley. Brian Mumley. He has connections to that car, and he lived in that house that the girls were killed in. Brian Mumby. Brian, Brian Mumby. All right. There's a new name, everybody. Brian Mumby. Oh, what do you guys think of that, Brian Mumby? Have I heard that name before, Brian Mumby? I'm not sure. Why didn't they ask John Douglas if he would consider helping the case? Yep, I love me some John Douglas. I love his books. Um, I'm going to let this out to you guys. I'm trying to get in contact. If you know, if you know who John Douglas is, and we have a well-read group here, you know, I, I thought that people that have shows that actually have some thought and some production and some intelligence behind it. I thought that that there's a place for that and it'd be popular. And I attracted you guys are here. We're of the same mind group. You guys seem to be well read. So you might know who detective Joe Kinda is former detective of Colorado Springs. So I'm going, I'm trying to get an interview with him about the process of investigating a murder. Working on that. I will keep you updated. Um, we're going to go over some of the bull crap that some of the people here on YouTube are saying about the VIN number and the information they came up with. So uh, we'll go over more of that after we go over axe throwing. Joe Kinda is amazing. I love him. I really do. And it's not just, just everything about him. I guess it's because us monotone guys have to stay together, right? Hey, Jerry, it's Cooper in hey, Alabama. Coop. I just wanted to call maybe with uh, not so much a question, but a couple of, of thoughts. Um, I know a lot of people are doing research, trying to find information on this case, and we're well-intentioned. And I think the best thing, based on um, this, this idea that there could be somebody local, the best thing that anybody could be doing would be to try to find somebody who maybe missed work for a while or who has gone missing completely. And um, then the other thought that I had was, uh, for a college kid to go in and do this, not having ever done anything like this before, is really an overwhelming task. And so my, what I'm asking is, um, is there anybody out there, is there any, any, anybody in a walk of life where maybe they've, uh, they've done something before, and by virtue of their training or experience, they would be pretty confident walking into a to house to carry that out. And I think that's the type of person that we're looking for. So if there's anybody who's missed work and... Uh, would have a background that would maybe suggest they could do something like that um, with some confidence, maybe uh, having been a combat veteran or something like that. Uh, just a thought. Um, anyways, just putting that out there. Thanks, Gary. There's an interview with a felon about the murder case here of the Idaho 4, and the felon is the one that was talking about I'm not sure if he was a murderer before or not, but he says he was sure that whoever did this would have been in the house beforehand. That's something to think about. Everybody else, Cooper. Cooper's a very intelligent person, and I, re- I respect his points of view and his articulation. Good evening. Good evening. I'd like to know where Jack D was sleeping. It sounds like- That's a good question like he was at the house a block and a half away from the crime scene. And then two things. It sounds like it was one of the biggest nights of the semester on campus with the football game and the sorority and fraternity parties. Did he stay home all night and then claim to sleep in? And if he did, how come he wasn't up early the next morning with the dog? You know, he didn't show up over there until well after the case were called. 
Hold on a second. Hold on a second. This is an important clue. I just realized this. Did Jack D and Maddie have a particular time that he was supposed to pick up the dog? Did he miss that appointment for no reason at all? We don't know this. The police do, because I'm sure it had been on the phones. Maybe he was supposed to pick up the dog that night, and that's why they were calling him. Just perhaps. Maybe he actually went over there that night to pick up the dog, but something else happened. and He left the dog there because he realized, well, I can't make it look like I was over here to pick up the dog like I was supposed to. And if he went over there, I mean, nobody would have seen it because he's over there all the time. Maybe you guys are on to something. Maybe, maybe. Think about this. Did you fix that uh, timeline for me? Thanks. Very interesting. Thank you for your calls. I appreciate it so much. I'm going to play this one. Okay, I got voicemail. Yes, you did. All right. Thank you for your phone calls very much. I'm going to, I'm looking at the time. I'm going to show you guys a little bit more, then I'm going to open up the lines. Does anybody know if he was supposed to pick up the dog that night? I'm sure that's some information they wouldn't tell us because they don't tell us anything. All right. Here's what I got for you. I got something for you. Good morning, everybody. Those of you that are just joining us, if you don't like the show, I appreciate if you call that number on the upper left-hand corner of your screen, 325-261-0892, and tell me how you really feel. I'd appreciate it. Thank you. Hit the like button. Because of the pandemic, a place called Civil Axe Throwing had a chance to reopen, and they're giving people a safe way to release some built-up quarantine energy. New at 5.30, ABC Action News sports anchor Kevin Lewis has more from Ybor City. It's cheaper than any psychologist uh, or therapy uh, that you could ever get. If there's a sport made for the quarantine blues, this is it. It's an opportunity for people to get a good workout in, uh, blow off a lot of steam, um, and and honestly, I think people are anxious to get back out, you know, and, and get back to some type of normal life, right? People are throwing heavy, sharp objects. So, yes, social distancing required. In a lot of our spaces, it is very open. Obviously, all of our uh, high-touch areas are sanitized regularly. We're trying to do everything in our power to keep people safe um, and, and feel comfortable uh, coming back into the location. A little controlled aggression is a good way to chop down some anxiety. And Oh, my God. This is so dark. This is a axe-throwing establishment in Moscow. Do you hear how they're saying this? Throwing the axe is a good way to control your aggression. Maybe this person, maybe they remember that club. I don't know. I don't, I'm not saying I even think this is any related anyway at all. But again, this is a setting of the Idaho 4 case. This is the setting. And that weekend, they had... An axe-throwing competition, as it's been reported to me that they did. So, hello, welcome to Twin Peaks, you know. It's I've never even time. seen that show. You, well, <laughs> you don't have to really be concerned about hitting the target. It's just a way to let out some anger and just have some fun with it, too. That's super cool. It's different. Oh, my. Take out rage and frustration, you know, in these weird times we're living in. I got it down a little bit. I'm all right. The experts tell me there is a home version of the game available if you want to throw and do some more social distancing. In Ybor City, I'm Kevin Lewis. Oh, my. Oh, my. So, yeah, this is here in Moscow, Idaho. Axe throwing. Students, families, and the entire Moscow community have a brand new experience to enjoy the Moscow axe throwing. Perfect for date night, family time, friend group hangouts, parties, and everyone who wants to throw sharp weapons with no consequence. The new business is minutes from the University of Idaho campus in downtown Moscow. Moscow axe throwing had their grand opening on October 8th, and in the few weeks since... 
The business has already started to become a fun and valued part of the Moscow community. It is located at 310 West 3rd Street and is open from noon to midday every day of the week. Co-owners Chris and Tyler first thought of the idea to bring axe throwing to the Palouse early 2022. And within months, they had decided on Moscow as a community they wanted their business to be a part of. Hello. Again, this is about the setting because I have a writer brain. So every weird and quirky thing that's a part of this community brings it out of my mind and I share it with you. Can't help it. That's how it is. If I was writing the book about this, which I'm pretty sure someone else has secured the right. So if I tried to do that, nobody would talk to me in the community. Then I would have to bring all this stuff up. You would have all the church. You would have... You would have the axe-throwing place. You would have every person we've ever been suspicious of in the least way. In the least way. You would have that Mumby character somebody voicemailed and talked to me about. And I guess we're going to have to look at his name. But I do have, and I'm thinking this person that they named is a person that's being linked to the house that was being rented. And I do have some information about that, and it's very odd. Not that it relates to that white Hyundai Elantra because it was rumored that that white Hyundai Elantra was owned by the owners of the house, the ones that were renting the house. That has been, it's been verified to not be true at all. But in the process of verifying that, I found some weird stuff about that house. Not that it makes anybody guilty of murder, but it does have the setting of a weird place. With a bunch of weird stuff happening. So, one of the things I think is important is to look at all this weird stuff. Pointed out to you how people are saying things are fact when they're not, or saying that they're fact before they're fact. You know, when the FBI lies to us and told us some something was ruled out when it wasn't, and then it finally did become ruled out later, but not in the way they said. Well, we have all these YouTube personalities. And I don't watch other YouTubers about the Idaho 4. I don't go I don't go and look at them. But you guys, this is your show. I keep telling you that and I mean it. This is your show. Uh you guys do research, you send it to me and I check that out because I'm interested. Cuz you guys give me a little synopsis. Hey, check this out. Here's why. Um and I check it out. And I'm like, "Okay." And I'll like fast forward to the part, check it out. So you guys help produce the show in the background. That's why it's so amazing here. We have over a thousand million years of combined experience and internet sleuthing. We put it together and this is a show we come up with. We get wild ass theories, wild ass speculations. And here's a wild ass speculation from another face group, uh, YouTube user, almost said Facebook. There's over in Idaho. So, sleuths have been looking into running the VIN number on this white car and have come up with a VIN number. Relates this vehicle back to a man named Brian. Now, I'm not going to put his full name. Ah, so this is probably what the caller earlier was taught. All this relates together, together, everybody. Follow me here. Brian M., all right, supposedly... They ran this VIN number and got this information, and we can even connect it to axe throwing. Name, age, date of birth out there, just in case this isn't the guy. But it comes back to somebody called Brian, a 33-year-old male who lives in Eugene, Oregon. Eugene, Oregon is apparently 8 hours and 46 minutes There's going to be a link to everything that I'm showing you guys in the description below. I suggest you check it all out. You watch the full videos. Um, Away from Moscow, Idaho. People are saying online that this guy lived at the house on King Road. We have done, behind the scenes, a lot of sleuthing to try and work out if that is the case. And we have run this guy's name, we have run the VIN number of the car, and we cannot find anything to suggest that this guy ever lived at... 
How in the world? I'm going to reiterate this. They think they got the VIN number. How did they get the VIN number if the car was impounded and away from public view before you guys even knew about it? How is that possible? I'm not saying it's not. I'm not. But make it make sense. I hear you guys saying that you had a friend do the VIN number. There was a some anonymous person, you know. So we find out about the car that's been impounded days before. We find about it one hour. I find, everybody found out about an hour before I went live. Within that hour, people, I knew someone who lived there, and they checked the VIN number, and this is what I got. Up, I got. Now, the FBI and the police department are saying, well, no, it's somebody else from Colorado. So, guys, be careful with what you hear. Bring it here, and we'll research it and look over it. But what the hell? Come on, man the King Road house where the four students lived or if he even owned that house at any point. But what we did find that was very interesting was that he was a timber crew foreman in Idaho Department of Lands. He also attended the University of Idaho between January 2011 and December 2014. This poor, poor man. Although his address currently lists as Eugene, Oregon, he did apparently live. Yes, it sat there for four days. And then someone finally towed it away, and then it was reported on the internet days after it was towed and impounded. I don't know. On Main Street, Moscow, Idaho. All this is completely not true. Where, where the hell did they get this? Now, the date given for the time that he lived in Moscow, Idaho, was sometime in 2013. So I'm guessing around about the time that he attended the university. And although I cannot find any other addresses in Idaho or link him to the address where the murders occurred, it does seem very strange to me that this guy called Brian, who is eight hours and 46 minutes away from these murders, did live not far from where. What does that got to do with anything? That's not the VIN number of the car. The hell? the hell are you talking about this occurred is this guy in any way associated with this crime we haven't heard of this guy's name before he has not been brought up where the hell did they get this name he's not one of the boyfriends that we know of he sounds like an older gentleman but in 2013 he did apparently live and attend University of Idaho. So what the hell are you talking about? All right, that's all I'm going to play so I don't get hit. I don't want to, I'm not trying to bust anybody's copyright. I just want to go over the information where it came from. There'll be links to all this in the description below. But let's follow this dark train, shall we? This train of this wild ass speculation train that we're going down. Brian M. Let's look at this. He worked for the forestry. Is that, is that what it said? He, a lumberjack. He was a lumberjack supervisor. Maybe he threw axes. Maybe he was into that kind of stuff. Swinging the old axe around, huh? Maybe. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Okay, so I got this. This is, I thought this is very interesting. I'm going to go through this. I'm going to open up the phone lines. I want to talk to you guys about this. That's why I'm here. That's why I wake up at 3 a.m. in the morning to do a 5 o'clock show. Idaho Murder's former first floor tenant of Moscow home says he couldn't hear activity from the other floors. Now, this is some real information, and this is helping things make sense. A former tenant of Moscow home where four university students were murdered on November 13th says it was difficult to hear activity on the second and third floors of the home from the first where he lived. And that's really all he had to say, but I'm going to continue to read here. 
He's a healthcare worker. Oh, really? Just going to put his name out there. He was a healthcare worker and local business owner who now lives in Janice, Idaho. He told Fox News that he lived on the first floor of the home on King Road in 2019. Unless his roommate was playing the television loudly on the second floor, he typically heard nothing from the second and third floors. I wouldn't have heard it from downstairs, he said, when asked whether he could hear activity coming from the second and third floors of the house where he lived on the first, so he could not. It's very well insulated from sound, apparently. At the time of the November quadruple homicide, there were six tenants listed on the lease for the home located near the university campus. Next door to Greek Row, where the student fraternity and sorority houses are located. Link to all this in the description below. I'm going to open up the phone lines and I'm going to show you what I found out about the house itself. About the owners of the house. About the LLC that runs the house. And what is weird about that? A lot of you guys have been contacting me and saying that you feel two things keep popping up recently. And one is you guys are feeling like the owners are perhaps some way involved. And another thing is you feel like the roommates knew more than they're saying. I mean, this is doubts in the group's heart here. So I lean towards believing it. I believe that you guys feel that way. I think some of the reasons for that might be the police not letting a little information out. Maybe those people that got cleared maybe can let us know more about the 911 call, the circumstances around. Now, we have rumors. There's an article about, and you know what? I'm going to put post a link to that on midnightrad.io on our Idaho 4 article timeline. So you guys can get a hold of that if you want to relook relook at it. I mean, I do have it linked in the description of some of the other shows we did. But the nine one one, the what do you call it? The background of that. There was supposedly a third party there at the time, and they described everything. We went over it before, but I have a, a copy of that. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to remember to give you guys. I'm gonna put it on the. Idaho 4 article timeline that we have on our website. Anyway, this isn't exactly the weeds. It's kind of interesting. Let me show you this, and let me go ahead and open those phone lines. I feel like we could do both here because I want to talk to you guys about this. I know you guys have more to talk about. The phone lines are now open. 325-261-0892. The phone lines are now open. I do want to show you guys this, and I didn't pull it up yet, so here it is. Midnight caller line, this is Jerry. Hi, uh, I was uh, calling about the lady who was talking about the guy named Brian. Yes. Well... I just Googled his name, and it said he was 43, which is like a 10-year difference in age. Mm -hmm. And it said he lives up by me. I live in Michigan. Okay. It said he lived in, like, Mesick, Michigan. And it did list one of his addresses as 1122 King. So I don't understand why everything she's saying is different than... Reality? What I... Everything she's saying is different than reality. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I agree with you. Are you sure? But, okay, my first thing that popped in my head when you started talking is, are you sure that you're talking about the same guy? And I'm sure well, that popped in know. your I mean, head, too. Like, I'm sure you thought about that, too, right, as you're looking I, it up. There's a different address. There's a different name. But then you have that part that links him to that address. You're like, well, this looks like the same guy. I mean... Well, I'll tell you what's weird is that, okay, so I clicked on somebody that was related to him named Samantha who lives in, okay, so Brian Mumby, and it says 1122 King Road, and then it lists this Samantha. 
Samantha in Eugene, Oregon, age 30. Okay. So I don't know if she's related to him. Is that the lady who owns the car? I don't know. But I don't know. We'll try not to dox her names, though. <laughs> not too bad. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> I don't know. And this is all quite, I don't think that Brian has a damn thing to do with any of this. And I question the validity of these supposed VIN numbers they say they got and they've been looking up. This is the second one we've gone over where they've looked it up. And to me, it just looks like they got this name of Brian of someone who used to live in the house before and didn't have a damn thing to do with the VIN number. It seems like the point of origin for finding his name was the house, not the VIN number. We went over a VIN number. They Probably. Yeah. We went over a VIN number they said they had last night. It's completely different. And it's contradicting what the police and the FBI are saying about it. So my question is, are these YouTubers doing this on purpose? Or are they just not following through? Or are they too quick to jump on stuff? I mean... I think some of them are just stupid. <laughs> I didn't say that out loud, did I? Well, no, no, I, I hear what you're saying. And that you, it comes in your mind at first, but I mean... And they didn't present it like it was fact, but people are saying this. And I understand that, but, I mean, I don't do something like that. You can't jump on that much, you know. I mean, the part that they're acting like is legitimate is like the VIN number was legitimately, legitimately looked up, you know. They're putting that out as fact. And, hell, it didn't even make common sense. That's my point. Right. Am I right? I mean, what do you think? Yeah. Do you are you picking up on that too? No, I agree. No, I agree. And I, you know, this like I said, I only spent thirty seconds searching his name, so this could have nothing to do with it. But it's just odd that it, it came back to his address. But if they're if they're just looking for going down the list of people that used to live in that house and thinking everybody is a suspect, I think that's what they're doing. I think. But is that's, that is that different than what the right, police department is that different than what the police department's doing? Because everybody at the White Elantra is a suspect according to them. Everybody at the what? <laughs> everybody that has a white Elantra, a Hyundai Elantra in the United States oh. is a suspect. And then yeah, according to the obvious people, they're not suspects. <laughs> except not the obvious people. And then Banford. Uh right. She, according to her, it's anybody that's acting weird is is a possible suspect. Right. I, I, I was thinking, like, why are they telling all their secrets? Like, now everybody who, who is a killer isn't going to act that way anymore. Yeah, I know. Now they're going to start act, acting normal. Um, right. That's one thing I appreciate about you guys. You guys send real information um, that we can that I look over and everything, not fake information. And, uh, well, I mean, some of it is, is, I mean, the information about the VIN numbers you guys sent me, I looked it up, though. I mean, people have to do their due diligence, you know. It's like I said, you know, everywhere we go, it's starting to smell like bullshit. And that's why I was referring to all this fake information. I just hope they figure it out soon. I can't imagine being a parent. I mean, I am a parent of four, but I can't imagine. And my kids are 21, 20, 19. And 13. So they're in that age. I just can't imagine being in that position. I can imagine standing at the door at, of grief, but I can't imagine the depth and the breadth of it. You know what I mean? You right. actually have to be there. But I, I, I do see where Steve is coming from and everything he does. I thank you. I thank you for calling in, and I want to. There's something I want to show you guys right now. I want to show you this document I have. It's about the house. Uh, since we're talking about people that used to live in the house, everybody's a suspect, and a lot of you guys are thinking, "Well, maybe it has something to do with the house." I do have something weird about the house. Let me get my glasses on here. Major story. The sign we're getting old. Yeah. Well, the glasses don't help a lot because of the light that shines on me. But okay, so right here on this, this is the paperwork. 
Now, they have this house under an LLC, which is, you know, not a shocking thing. That helps with the, the paying of the taxes and running it as a business. And anything they have to fix on the house, they can write that off on taxes. So that's basically all that is. But the interesting part about this, and if you look by the name Franklin G. Lee, 12 this is recently, it was... The LLC was changed in such a, na- a way that it removes a name from the deed. So, like, now you can't find the name of the person that, that owns the property. That's sad. And I got, a, I got an email regarding this. Let me read this. I find this interesting. 1122 King Road is owned by an individual that bought the home under his LLC. And the name of that is uh, 1122 King LLC. That's what they called it. But he bought, he bought the home under his LLC on 12-9-22. There was an amendment made to name a registered agent of the LLC with the Secretary of State. I have a feeling this was done to separate the individual from the house. Since it's being said that his son was the owner and driver of the Elantra that was found in Oregon. Of course, that's ruled out now. Does anyone know what the first day it was announced that the police were looking for the 11-2013 white Hyundai Elantra? If it's around the time of this change of registered agent, I think there's a strong possibility that the LLC's owner or his son has something to do with these murders. This is a wild oh. ass speculation. So the Hyundai Elantra uh, is not the one that was found in Oregon. That is rolled out, but the rest of this stuff hasn't. A lot of be- people have been worrying about maybe the owners of the house has something to do with it. And I mean, I saw this that the change was made in twelve uh, nine, and it hides the name of the person. And I thought that was significant. Yeah, he's from. Or not significant, but I mean, it is another piece to to all the strangeness that's going on there in Idaho. I had no idea that I did a show last night at 6 p.m. and a few hours later here at 5 a.m. It's not even 12 hours later. And there's more information I have already. Just a little bit, you know. <laughs> it's crazy. I'd like to thank you for calling well, in. I have anything to do with it, but everything's got to be checked out. It does. And that's something be checked out so what's your first well, name thanks again? for talking to me michelle michelle and you're from oregon michigan michigan okay we're getting a lot of Oregons and washington's now we got a michigan thank you very much you have a good day thanks have a merry christmas you too i'd like to thank michelle for calling do we have anybody else that wants to call in the line we're reaching the end of the show now's your chance Michelle is a good name. It was lovely talking with Michelle. Where are we at on time? Oh, look, it's 6 o'clock. You know what happens at 6? Who can tell me? I'd like to thank you all for tuning in. You've been listening to Midnight Radio. We're going to be back tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. for the morning club here. You can call in in the meantime, 325-261-0892. Leave us a voicemail message, 325-261-0892. You can leave us an email at midnightrad.io101 at gmail.com. If you guys get some new information, don't think I already have it. Go ahead and send it in, and I'll verify it, and we'll talk about it. If you guys would like to help support the show, there's many ways you can do that. There is a cash app. You can hit the thanks button underneath the video you're watching. If you like our content, we... um, on Spotify, we have memberships now, $4.99 a month. You get extra content. 
with that. Thank you guys for your support. We would not be here without you. We have over a bazillion years of talent in this chat room right now. Thank you very much. This show is filmed before a live YouTube audience. Until next time, till tomorrow morning, all my best.